The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world with a bigger dumper than Cal Raleigh. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Hello, Jordan. Oh, we could only dream. We could only dream to to have uh, such a, a illustrious, one of, probably the most famous dumper left in the postseason, at least one that is so designated uh, as such. Uh, Jake, it is a pleasure to join you. Um, if you're listening to this, we, 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 we want to be very transparent with our listeners about our podcast plans for this postseason. And this is, will be the first of, of many strange recording times and sequences of events, because that's what the postseason calls for, and we want to podcast as much as possible. But it'll all make sense to you when it enters your earbuds, okay? It is currently afternoon on Sunday, October 9th. Three of the four wildcard series are over. The Mets and Padres will play game three later tonight. This podcast is a wild card review podcast. Now you might say, Jake, Jordan, what about Padres Mets? How do you know it's going to happen later? Are you looking into the future? No. At the end of this podcast, you will hear future me exhausted at like presumably 1 a.m. from City Field recording a review of that series. But we will get there when we get there, Jordan. Shall we begin with the marathon in Ohio? Yes, yes, we will. Uh, so again, this is the review. Don't worry, we will also be previewing the Division Series on another podcast, which you will also be hearing very soon. Uh, maybe you're just skipping this podcast and you, you won't even hear this, but the point is we're separating because there's so much to talk about. We didn't want to cram it all into one show. So we are going to now review the wildcard series that completed on Saturday, and we will begin, indeed, on the North Coast, <laughs> as we like to call it. Uh, Jake, what... A ridiculous display of offensive ineptitude over 24 innings in the great city of Cleveland, Ohio. I watched, I think, probably 22 of the 24 innings over these two games as I was covering it uh, from a distance uh, for Fox. And the first game, this was so great, right? Because the first game, let's just talk about game one. All right. Game one, we got the Shanes. McClanahan and Bieber could not be more different both, I would say, personality-wise and pitching style-wise. We love them both very much. They're both very different style pitchers, very different style people. And it was a great contrast, and both of them were fantastic. And Shane, it was, it was Shane, so, it was Shane, so, yeah. Shane. Shane, 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 Shane. Uh, this, was a, a, this was what a pitcher's, this was the pitchers that people did want to see, right? We'll get to the game two in a second. It was back and forth. It was two different styles. It was McClanahan blowing 99. It was Bieber just, I mean, when Bieber's on his game, which he now has been for a couple months now. Surgical. Oh, it is just brilliant to watch. Never, He didn't throw harder than 93 the whole game. But the Rays hitters, which obviously were not exactly the Rays hitters, not that it was exactly you know, the 27 Yankees, but they did not look very good. They look like the 27 Yankees would look like today. Right now. <laughs> would you rather have the 27 Yankees or the 22 Rays facing 22 Shane Bieber? Jose Siri uh, hit a solo homer for the only run of the series, it turned out, for Tampa before Jose Ramirez, the man who extended himself. I guess Cleveland extended. Anyway, he hit a go-ahead <laughs> two-run homer in Cleveland's bizarre uh, but yet fabulous bullpen closed things out to take a two-to-one Win in game one. Game two. Okay, here we go. Let's run it back. Tristan McKenzie, Tyler Glass now. In game one, we had two Shanes. In game two, we have two Beanpoles. Okay, who will be the lankier skinny boy? And they were just as good as one another, tossing zeros back and forth. I believe Glass now went five uh, and McKenzie went, went six. McKenzie went six with CC Sabathia in the house watching him, uh, who, of course, they've, they've become very close over the past few years as, as, as Cleveland, former Cleveland Aces. Uh, very cool relationship there. Cool to see CC. By the way, let's just get this out of the way now. Do we think CC stayed for this whole game? Did CC stay for the whole game? 
I don't know. Great question. Know. <laughs> here's a here's a guess. Ready? I think CC left and came back. Left and came back. Where's he gonna go? I think Where's his hotel go? is probably within walking distance, and he like went uh, and like warmed up and came back. Yeah, CC definitely does have um, enter and exit and return privileges that regular fans do not. So Correct. would love to know if CC left and came back. I sure we'll find out at some point on his podcast. So looking forward to finding that out. Point is, Glassdown McKenzie are both great. Again, this is only in Glassdown's third start since coming back from TJ, and he was he was marvelous. Uh, but as again, as we of course, you know, we rang on the Rays offense, which produced uh, nine hits over nine hits and one run, uh, one extra base hit over twenty four innings. The Guardians offense produced thirteen hits and just three runs over the twenty four innings, and were similarly uh, inept. Particularly, I mean, the Guardians truly did not hit a ball. Oh, even close to over an outfielder until Oscar Gonzalez's walk-off. Spoiler. Uh, and it was truly remarkable. It wasn't even a situation where there was pressure, 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 escape, pressure, pressure, escape. No. Rollover, rollover, pop out, pop out, strike out, strike out, rollover, pop out, pop out. Like, <laughs> that's what this was for 15 innings. On both sides. And like... On both sides. There were obviously some moments throughout the game where things got a little close. I, I will say this about Cleveland's offense versus Tampa's. Cleveland's offense at least has an identity, right? It has a vibe. It has a code. Their code is not strike out, put it in play. Tampa's just was just bad, right? If you're going to be bad, be bad with a purpose. I agree with you. And in general, you're totally right. Um, however, Guardians offense, game two, 19 strikeouts, three walks. Ray's offense, 20 strikeouts, five walks. Andres Jimenez, who, again, I still can't figure out why he's hitting behind Oscar Gonzalez. Now we know. Look how silly I looked. But generally, all season long, I'd be like, why is Nandres Menace hitting higher? He goes 0 for 5 with 5 strikeouts. Not, not what we're looking for from our, our guy who might finish top 5 MVP. Ramirez was 0 for 6. Ramirez 0 for 6. They got 0 for 11 from Ramirez, 0 for 5 from Rosario, 0 for 5 from Quan. They had 5 hits in 15 innings. But the one that mattered was Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. The man who walks up to the SpongeBob SquarePants theme song. Which, by the way, again, having witnessed this in person uh, last month when I went to see the Mariners there, just one of the funniest, most bizarre. I mean, you know, look, we, we've had kind of meme walk-ups in the past. Like, we've seen this. This isn't necessarily a meme as much as just he said. He's like, yeah, it's a kid's game. It's, it's funny. It's cute. Whatever. Like, I'm going to do it. But when you hear it, a song that, you, again, we've been hearing since we were, you know, five years old, blaring over some of the loudest stadium speakers in baseball, which Cleveland is a very loud stadium, is very surreal. And I can only imagine what it was with a packed house because it wasn't when I was there. Jordan, you are aware that in college, my first two years, the seniors would select the walk-up songs for the freshmen. Mm -hmm. um, this led to a variety of hilarious circumstances because the freshmen usually only played when we were up by a lot or down by a lot. And there's nothing funnier than being down by 13 runs to a team in 40 degree weather and hearing the meow mix or my little pony or one eight, seven, seven cars for kids as someone walks up to the plate. Right. I can only imagine just that is multiplied by 50 with Oscar Gonzalez. I, I captain, I can't hear you walk off home run to go play the fucking Yankees. I know. And, and now, you know, the Yankees are going to hear it too, right? Uh, when they go back to Cleveland for game three. But let's, let's talk about Oscar Gonzalez for a second. He was actually the only guy in this game to have two hits. This was his second Wow, hit clap it up. Uh, Give so, him the wow, MVP. Two, two whole hits. Oh, my goodness. Mr. October. <laughs> might, might as well, right? For this series, I mean, he, he was practically a superhero. Um, let's talk about Oscar Gonzalez because let's rewind. Uh, about a year, about uh, 10 months, let's Jordan, say. Jordan, who he? Who he? Um, this man uh, is, last year we became very familiar with Oscar Gonzalez last winter, last offseason, when he was a regular uh, on one of the, the, the teams in the Dominican Winter League, uh, Estrellas Orientales, team that you might have seen Fernando Tatis Jr. play for and hit a walk-off home run a couple years ago. So Estrellas, right? He was watching, he was a regular outfielder for them. And I remember when he started playing for them, I was like, oh, like, I knew he was with Cleveland. Okay, whatever. And I remember over the winter, I was like, wow, Oscar Gonzalez, like, where'd this guy come from? And then I looked up, last season, 2021, 31 homers, 871 OPS across AA and AAA, more games in AAA. Huge. 
huge season in the minors last year, was never really much of a prospect, even though you look at him, it's like, oh yeah, this is like just a big donkey in right field who's got crazy pop. Like he looks like a prospect to me. If you if you showed me him and you showed me his numbers, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's a top hundred prospect, right? Like obviously. And he was 23, which isn't which isn't that old, but it isn't that young either. So maybe that's part of it. And I, I was like really excited. And I was like, oh, this dude's gonna like definitely play in the big leagues in 2022. Like I'm excited to see that. Pretty good rookie year. It wasn't overwhelming. But he was no, pretty good though. You're missing a step here. He sucked yeah. in the winter league. Like he, he, he was he, he was met. He was mad. He, he did not hit he for any great. power, which is kind yeah. of his whole game. And even he was hitting sixth for a Dominican Winter League team behind Junior Lake and Socrates Brito, right? Yeah. And then fast forward, you know, a pregnancy, and he's hitting fourth for a team in the MLB playoffs. I just remembered, you know who else was on that? Sorry, we're getting really Lee Dome niche, but Christian Bethencourt, the catcher for the Rays. Uh, so they would have been, uh, you know, reunited as 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 as, uh, as Estrella's teammates. But yeah, right, like you said, Domingo Leba. I mean, this is like probably you know, Robinson Cano last winter. Um, but he was benched on this team for players who you've never heard of, and now you've heard of him. That's really all you need to know. We'll talk yeah. about on a later podcast how this Guardians team matches up against the Yankees. Whether or not I regret picking them to beat the Yankees. But this was a marathon game that we will remember, I think, for a long time, for good or yeah. bad. Jordan, I believe it was five hours and 14 minutes. It was four hours five, and 57. No, no, four, 4.57, 4.57, which again, in contrast to game one, which was two hours and 17 minutes, the fastest postseason game since 1999, is amazing. This was the first postseason game ever to be scoreless through 13 innings. Um, it, was, it was just a truly remarkable thing to watch and the yeah i I, last thing my last thought on this series is watching the cleveland fans and it was pretty cold not that cold but i do wonder like the number of times they stood up right think about that the number of times they stood up because in the postseason it's like yom kippur jordan exactly it's a great great comp right the the number of you basically are standing up every top half at home when your team has two outs and two strikes right to finish the inning always doing that, and then basically runner in scoring position, you know, 3-2 count, whatever. They must have gone up and down who knows how long before Oscar Gonzalez, which the funniest part is they probably, I'm not even sure they were standing before Oscar Gonzalez launched the first pitch from Corey Kluber. By the way, Corey Kluber giving up the home run. Wow. (laughs) Um, uh, For that that walk-off home run. So just an incredible game. The Guardians should give away knee braces instead of rally towels next time. Yes, a game uh, tr- truly a game so long. Eliud Kipchoge could have run two and a half marathons. Calling it a marathon <laughs> undersells what Kipchoge can do. Uh, that is enough. I'm glad Eliud got a reference on this podcast. Let's He's a big on. fan. He's been oh, listening to our stuff since the oh, old days. Great. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, he has to listen to something on those on those runs. Can right? you imagine? Hey, what are you listening to when you're running two hour marathons? Oh, the only thing I listen to is baseball barbercast. That would Sirius be, XM. Uh, I would crush oh. that, that. The things I would do for that plug. Elliot, I mean, wow. where can you find it? Wherever you get your podcast. Wherever you get your podcast. Um, all right. Let's move on to the other American League matchup. Again, we will preview the DS, uh, the LDS, Latter-day Saints uh, in next episode. Let's move on to uh, a series uh, north of the border. In a different country. The Toronto Blue Jays and the Seattle Mariners. Um, let's talk about game one. Game one was pretty straightforward. Jake, game one, as we talked about before the series, uh, why do you trade, why do you trade, uh, two top 50 prospects for Luis Castillo? Oh, that's why. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that, that was pretty good. <laughs> How much of this game, uh, did you get to watch? Because it was truly a, a masterful performance from pitch one. I saw big dumpers, big dump. Early on. He did, he did drop another big one uh, in the first inning off Manoa, yes. A lot of juice in that caboose. And then, like you said, Castillo exudes, I know what I'm doing here, right? More than anyone. Even like DeGrom and Scherzer and like Bieber is in the same level when like Bieber's locked in of, I know what I'm doing. But Castillo has way better stuff than Bieber. Yeah. And so it's an even better watch. 
he is just in total command at all times. He very rarely gets hit hard or makes mistakes. He is pinpoint with his with his stuff and he can afford sometimes to not be right like if he makes mm-hmm. if he misses his stuff is good enough that like you probably won't hit it anyway right and i think when you say knows what he's doing i think the word that i i get especially when you compare it to guys like degrom although i think degrom fits in this category is is calm right the dude is so unfit like there is he he's so focused and just so in control of everything that is like, but it's like, it's not, it doesn't come across as like robotic in the same way that a guy like Kluber has, at, you know, at his peak, right? There is like passion here, but it's just so controlled and so he's so in control. And that's what I think you're saying. Like he knows what he's doing. Um, he pitches to big leaguers like an, like a guy in double A who should be in the big leagues pitches to double A hitters, right? Right. Where he, right. there's the inevitable success. I'm going to get you out, so why should I be nervous, right? Now, I am better than you. Why can he be so confident? This stuff is so insane, and it was up, even up from what it normally is. He was throwing harder than ever before. Uh, five pitches over 100 miles an hour, because Castillo, he really sits, he's in, in the 97 to 99 group. He's, you actually don't see him hit triple digits that much. I know that sounds like a goofy you know, d- discrepancy, but it is true. Because there are some starters like Hunter Green and even DeGrom, obviously, that are actually 100, 100, 100, 100. But the difference, and Whit Merrifield talked about this after the game, is that Luis Castillo, this is where he is. I, I don't know who else really has this. Is he has two pitches at 99 that are going in different directions. And when you're dealing with that, because Whit Merrifield said, velocity, we see it all the time. We play Major League Baseball in 2022. The, the heat on its own is not what is hard. What is really challenging is when it's going two different directions and also he has a slider and a changeup. That's when you just, it is impossible. And whenever he was in trouble, you know, he only had five strikeouts. But whenever he was in trouble, it was like, all right, two seam around the hands. Like you just, you just can't do anything about it. And my command is perfect. There were some great charts of his, all, all of his pitches and he didn't go anywhere in the zone. He had two pitches middle, middle the whole game. Like it was, it was an unbelievable performance. Hey, bat boy, you toss me with a tennis racket, please. Um, <laughs> so that was game one. Pretty straightforward stuff. Castillo carves. Game two. Okay. I watched very little of this one because I was at Padres Mets and there was a lot of overlap. Here is my understanding of the game. Let's see if I can do this. Robbie Ray, the luckiest unvaccinated man in the world, doesn't need to reckon with his decision to not get the jab. Instead, Canada lets him in. Okay. Not just him, but everyone now. Don't need, don't need the shot to go there anymore. Uh, hilarious timing. I think it was like September 30th they changed yeah. the rule. Yes. Robbie Ray goes up. Maybe he shouldn't, uh, you know, maybe they shouldn't change the law because he got pretty knocked around letting two home runs up to Teoscar Hernandez in the first handful of innings. Yes. And this was a bad, you know, look, unvaxxed or not, this was gonna, always going to be a tough matchup. Bad matchup. <laughs> for Robbie Ray. It was not looking good. And I know this is why there are Mariners fans, even before it was like, oh, Robbie can pitch there. It was like, okay, yes, he is going to pitch. But should he be the one to pitch in that game? Um, I'm not surprised they did it. And honestly, the stuff actually looked okay. It's, you know, the velo's been up and down throughout the season, but just an awful matchup. Just the, I mean, obviously one of the most brutal right-handed uh, you know, lineups in the league. And by the way, this is going to be very relevant as, as they move on to Houston, of course. And we can talk about that in the next podcast, about how they will choose to deploy Ray there. But terrible matchup. It's 4-0. Uh, Mariners tack on a run in the fifth. And then it gets even worse uh, in bottom five when Paul Seawald has a, a terrible outing uh, and, and it's, it's eight to one. It's eight to one. Uh, it is eight to one. Eight to one after five innings. Wrap it up. And it's like, all right, well, hey, good thing is Logan Gilbert's going tomorrow. Gilbert's stripling. You know, I think the Mariners had the edge there. This, this is ha- like, to me, I was like, this sucks. But like, I can't say I'm shocked. Like Toronto's really good. Roger Center's going crazy. Like this is, this is fine. This is how... This is kind of how I thought the series was going to go, right? Like I had full faith in Castillo, but you know, Ray matchup hadn't been look great. Okay, fine. And then in the sixth inning, Kevin Gossman, who threw more splitters in this game than any game he had all season, and that's saying something because obviously that's his best pitch. Kevin Gossman just goes full split, and this is in the top of the sixth. He's just saying, yeah, I'm just going to only throw splitters. Now, three straight singles, okay? 
from France Suarez and Raleigh. So now we're getting there. We're getting a little like, okay, what's, what's going on here? But it's still Kevin Gossman. You paid him to replace Robbie Ray, and it's looking like a pretty damn good decision. Strikes out Mitch Hanniger, only splitters. Strikes out, or gets Adam Frazier to pop out, only splitters. He's at 95 pitches with Carlos Santana coming up. Earlier in his last at-bat, Carlos Santana launched one off the center field wall for a double, which ultimately led to the Mariners' first run. So maybe John Schneider looks at that and says, don't love Gosman facing Santana again. So we're up 8-1. to one. We got a cushion. Two outs. Let's just go to Tim Meza and for some reason have Carlos Santana bat right-handed, which is a better side anyway. Weird. Weird. Tim Meza comes in. Spikes a fastball. Run comes in 8-2. to two. Santana swings and misses at a uh, two-seamer low in the zone. Strike one. Mm. The maze is like, maybe I can do that again. No. Uh, no, you can't. <laughs> Santana launches it over the wall. Now it's five to eight. Eight to five. Okay. At this point, you know it's what? like, oh my God. They you know got a who chance. the Mariners have to thank there? Who? Aaron Judge. <laughs> I had that thought. Like, oh, Tim Mesa. What happened to him recently? Uh, they get out of the inning eventually. And now, but it's eight to five. Now it's like, okay. And the whole thing here is like, okay, the whole point about the series is that the Blue Jays bullpen, this is the weak spot, right? And now you're asking the Blue Jays bullpen to get through three more innings. Eventually gets back to Romano. And when Romano comes in with two guys on in the eighth and no outs, knowing that he has to get six outs, <laughs> it was just like, uh-oh, oh, this is not going to be an easy assignment for him. We get chaos in the eighth, J.P. Crawford. Dumps a ball into center field. Horrible collision from Bichette and Springer. I mean, I thought it was even worse than it was initially. Um, initially, I mean, it was a terrifying thing, right? Because it looked like on the first replay live that his knee hit Springer's head. Looked like it was his elbow. Bichette got obviously clobbered too. I mean, those plays, like, that's the one baseball play besides, like, you know, guys getting hit by pitches. The, those collisions, like that's when we've seen the nastiest collisions those are worse. in our sport. They're worse than the hit by pitches. I mean, the hit by pitches maybe happen a little more often, but yeah, I certain, think the certain. collisions, because no one, whenever two guys collide, unlike football, no yeah. one's expecting when that's the point. <laughs> it. Like the players are not anticipating a collision, and that's why collisions happen. So hopefully Springer is okay. Look pretty mm-hmm. shaken up. Mm-hmm. Bichette stayed in the game, but the notable thing for the sake of this contest, all three runs score. And yes, that a, a bloop single into center, which presumably would normally be just two runs, even with two outs, ties the game. And now, like, I mean, the, the, just the level, because again, it was two outs. The, the volume switch, and part of this was the collision too, but the volume switch from, you know, being up by three with two outs and just a few more outs to go, and then the game is tied, was unlike any game. And I wasn't there, but I can only imagine what that must have felt like in the building. All right. So uh, then top yep. nine, mm-hmm. top nine tie game, big dumper, Cal Raleigh double. Mm-hmm. Romano gets two outs. And then OO pitch to Captain Slapdick, Adam <laughs> Frazier, a guy who I think is one of Mariners fans' least favorite players on the team. Just yeah. because he he's the type of guy who managers are like, he could do a lot of things for a ball club, but <laughs> none of the things are actually that helpful usually. And he just is like, like wimpy at the plate and mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. unhelpful. Yeah, and the, the he's just unhelpful. Is, and what does he do, is, Jordan? What does he do? He ropes one down the right field line for a go-ahead double. Third hit of the game. Unreal. Um, and Frazier, like, again, because his skill set is one that the rest of the team doesn't have, is to put the bat on the ball consistently. But those... Balls just haven't been falling the whole season. And so when you look at his batting average and you say, well, isn't this what the one thing he's supposed to be doing? You're like, well, this guy stinks. <laughs> but in a spot like that where, again, there have, there have been times this season where it's like we can't have a strikeout and he's delivered. And so that, that is kind of what he's there for. And he delivered in that moment. And, of course, at that point, um, the whole stadium is, is totally shocked. They go to George Kirby, uh, who some people thought maybe would have started this game or this you know, third game. He closes it out. Roger Center is stunned. The Mariners move on. Unreal. Um, this, unreal. Yeah. Unreal. Uh, biggest, biggest comeback in postseason his, road history. Uh, <laughs> in, of course, you know, the second postseason game the Mariners have played in 20 years. I mean, there's just, it's like, I, I mean, I wrote this in, in, in my thing for Fox. It's just like, it's so unbelievable, but they've done it so many times also last year that it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't be like that, but it's, it was that, it was that, that, that crazy. Oh my goodness. Oh. 
Yeah, it, I got texts from people being like, "How's Jordan when they won?" <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was it was a delight. And uh, quickly on the Blue Jays, since we're obviously not going to talk to them about them anymore. I mean, that's just an oof that you can't. I mean, that's really really <laughs> difficult <laughs> to come back from. Um, now, I gave again, the White yeah. Sox a lot of shit this year for how much they disappointed. And yes, the Blue Jays won way more games than the White Sox, but at the end of the day, they only played two more. And I yeah. would be, I think I'd be surprised if they bring Schneider back now. Maybe that's stupid yeah. because yeah, I don't the two-game sample and he, they really like him, but it's yeah. just a, what a weird way to end the year. All season long, even after they made the manager change, it just felt like they were a team missing that last year. They mm -hmm. never put the pedal to the metal and now they will have a longer winter in and Canada. and the thing is you know all these guys are still going to be there right it's not like any of these guys are free agents like this is going to be the same team hopefully they can find a way to add because i really i really do like the blue jays a lot but that was really really difficult to watch and yeah now they'll probably just go pay edwin diaz like a hundred million dollars that's what i would uh, do all right <laughs> We'll get to Edwin later. Let's move on to the Phillies and Cardinales. Um, another, uh, you know, I know with chaos at the end of game one, we had some scoring, but, but generally low scoring, right? It wasn't exactly a slugfest for these two games. Let's talk about game one. Because, wow, this was, <laughs> this was another stunner. Uh, so take us through game one. Something that I did not realize that was crucial to this series and we did not preview for people, is how limited Zach Wheeler has been for the last two months of the season and how that was going to impact his start in October. We did not tell you about that. You know, maybe you should just go listen to someone else. We messed up. Sorry. Effectively wild. If you're going to listen to someone else. They're really good. That's wild. the best baseball <laughs> podcast. Never forget. Uh, Wheeler missed a month of time. Uh, most of September and late August came back was limited pitch count wise over his last handful of starts. And that was the case again on Friday for game one. So when Rob Thompson took him out to go to Jose Alvarado, it was kind of weird. Like, are you just going to have Alvarado pitch to Juan Yepes? Like it didn't totally make sense, but Wheeler had been limited and was already at 90 five, maybe 94, 96, 96 pitches, pitches yep. which was way more than he's thrown in a while. And so they did kind of push him past where he'd been. And so that was why they had to take him out in that spot. Now you could talk about, should they have gone to Alvarado or not? Who knows? Yepes hits a two run, go ahead, bomb. St. Louis is, is bopping. looks like the Phillies are going to Philly again. We go to the ninth, in we go to the eighth inning managers. Remember, don't get away from your playbook. Your closer is good, but he's not superhuman. And they asked Ryan Helsley to, I believe, get six outs. He so right. So Helsley comes in. Uh, Helsley comes in with, I guess, to get five outs. Five outs. No, to get yeah, yeah, to get five outs. So he comes in. He strikes out Marsh. He gets Schwarber to pop out. We're like, damn, Ryan Helsley is. Ryan <laughs> Helsley is the truth. Uh, but Ryan Helsley's finger, uh, he had an injury with. I believe his middle finger on his throwing hand at some point in the last couple of weeks. And there was some concern about that. I mean, he was clearly on the roster and whatever, but it was like, Oh, something to consider. And then clearly in the ninth, although he did strike out Reese, he strikes out Reese uh, to get the first out. And then it really starts to, to look ugly. Okay. Real Muto singles mound visit. We good. We good. Bryce Harper walks. Not close. Uh -oh. Not close. Mound visit. Dude, you good? You good? Uh, yeah, we're, we're fine. Castellanos walks. Okay, now let's maybe get someone moving around down Here's there. Here's a tip. Maybe we this is a rule yeah. of thumb. If you bring your closer in earlier than you usually do in October, you better have someone else behind them. Because everyone's leaving those guys in a batter or two too long. And part of that is because they don't have any up buddy up behind them. yeah and again that's the point you 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 want to give him the confidence no you're going to finish this game have the other okay. reliever throw underground okay just yeah just also ryan elsey's like he's focused on the batter okay it's like you can go get loose it's all right it's he's all right he's a big okay. boy okay he's a big okay alec bohm comes up 
plunked with a hundred, like up and in, terrifying. I love it. He gets hit, jumps back up. Yeah, let's go. He's amped. that is the first Phillies run. Now it's two to one. Okay. Now we have bases loaded. Uh, still just one out. And now we're going to Andre Pallante. This is the other thing about this too, right? The longer you wait, the harder the situation is that you're bringing in the guy who wasn't expecting to come in, right? (laughs) And so so here comes Andre Pallante. And Gene Gene, the hit machine, uh, lines one the other way. No, he does not. No, he does Uh, not line one the other way. (laughs) Gene Gene, the hit machine, takes a slider that is millimeters away from kissing the dirt and just taps it. The other way, under the glove of Ty, diving Tommy Edmond. That's what Gene does. That's what he'd do. Uh, the Phillies take the lead, go up 3-2. to two. They pat on a couple more. They take a 6-2 lead and hold on for a 6-3 win. I believe the Cardinals did plate one in the bottom of the inning. Okay, fast forward. Game two. Nola. First of all, what a, what a, what a thing to happen to the Cardinals oh, of yeah. all teams, right? It was I mean, some, that was it really... Was, it was like the Cardinals-Nationals game from 2012 where Pete Cosma dinked and dunked everyone into smithereens (laughs) in reverse in reverse it was something else so we go to game two and it's like oh my god that just happened to the cardinals what 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 what? okay well uh let's figure this out let's go to you know we 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 send it to Miles Michaelis uh and Jordan Montgomery who are going to piggyback against Aaron Nola who's been ridiculous lately and it's a close one Bryce Harper launches one in the second inning, gives him a one to nothing lead. Michael Bauman, our friend over at Fangraphs, had a good tweet, which was like, I know Bryce Harper's looked out of whack for the last month, but that is not a pitch you can throw him if any of his limbs are still attached. Yes. Uh, Kyle Schwarber adds another run in the fifth with a sack fly. And then suddenly we're just looking around and it's like, oh, well, Nola's in this game and two runs is a lot of runs when Aaron Nola's in this game. Uh, what's going on? Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado with a cool 0 for 15 with six strikeouts in this series. Not what we're looking for exactly. We get to the eighth. Now Nolan's out of the game. And here comes Mr. Pujols. Because this is what we really have to kind of talk about here, okay? Albert Pujols comes up as the tying run after Lars Newtbar walks. They bring in Sir Anthony Dominguez. And Albert just rockets one down the left field line. I mean, it was just like, there's, there he is. He's still going. He's still Burt. <laughs> He's still Burt. And now we have, we, we pinch run for him. And now we have first and third. I guess I got a little ahead of myself with the Goldie Arnado thing. First and second with one out and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado coming up. What at more do you Moments want? after what appeared to potentially be the final at bat of Albert Pujols, right? So the crowd is now into it. They recognize the moment that they've seen. He gets pinch run for. He gets right? pinch run for. Shouts out, friend of the show, Ben Deluzio. Okay, first and second, one out. Bush Stadium on its feet. And the two boppers, the man who will win the NL MVP and the man who, in my opinion, will finish third. Strikeout swinging, strikeout swinging, inning over. Holy crap. First of all, shouts out to Anthony Dominguez. Love that dude. Love that we saw him in spring training and we're like, oh my God, is this guy back? And I know he had some bumpy you know, parts of the season. He is spectacular and very fun to watch. Bottom ninth, Donovan lines one Wait. immediately to Segura. And that's Foss. when you know there's their fuck. You're missing, oh, a, you're missing a storyline. Oh, Sir Anthony, right? Yes. Goes for the eighth, does not come back out for the ninth. Who comes out for the ninth? Zach Eflin. Zach Eflin, <laughs> the second longest tenured Philly behind yep. Aaron Nola. Zach Eflin, who for the majority of his career has worked almost exclusively, I believe, as a starter, had certainly never closed before. And last week in the Phillies clincher that Nola started, Eflin just went out there in a three-run game and got the save. And it was like, oh, okay, I guess you're the closer. Game one gets the save. Game two gets the save. He now, I believe, has more postseason. Oh, he did not get the save in game one. I guess but he, he got did the win. pitch. He did he got pitch the, win. the last. Right? Not, not Robertson got the win, but he, but it was he a did four pitch run in game. game one. Yeah. So he essentially gets the save. Two saves in two games, more than the one save he has in his <laughs> regular season career. Amazing. Yeah. Like you said, Donovan lines out. At that point, you know it's done. Maybe 
Yepes flies out, two down, they're one away. Corey Dickerson single, and Yachty Molina walks to the plate. Oh my God. Okay. Now remember, y- Yachty struck out to end game one. Yes. In a and very, yeah. I want to be clear about something. This season, Yachty, Wayno, Pujols have gotten grouped together, which in some ways is very understandable. They've all been there forever, or in Pujols' case, came back. But they all have very different narratives. Wayno might come back. He's not maybe done. Pujols has been incredible against all odds. And Yadier Molina, despite his defensive prowess, has been an ungodly bad hitter all season long and kind of for three years now, right? Yadi, what a career. Hats off to you. A legend. We could do a whole podcast on how he's changed Major League Baseball. Time for you to hang him up and do other wonderful things. The bat is it's like he's swinging with a pool noodle. And, all right? and the worst part is that, like, especially in game one, like, you watch it, and it's like he knows he doesn't have it. Like, it's, it was really, really difficult to watch. And you know because of his command behind the plate, it takes so much to pinch hit for him, right? And but That is true, just, but this situation yeah. comes up, right? Exactly. Runner exactly. on first, a homer ties it. And yeah. the Cardinals in that spot, I'm like, you got to pinch hit. You have to. In that spot in my mind, I was like, you got to go to Dylan Carlson here, right? Let, like, Carlson a switch hitter against the righty Eflin. Like, why are we letting Yachty do this? And there was something really sad and tragic and Cardinalsy to me about both games ending potentially on a Yachty or Molina out. This, you know, the symbol that the Cardinals, despite their ability to develop randos do in some ways cling to the past right they have not maybe properly prepared or, for the or next gorman, generation right or gorman right they let yachty hit they go down with the ship and what the fucking fuck yachty molina gets a single <laughs> unbelievable pokes, pokes one the other way like i was i was already so sad just when he came up i was like i know so many people hate the cardinals and yachty and it's just like, this is, I don't want to watch this be how it ends. They cut to Pujols. I have a picture of this. I screenshot it. On the bench during the Molina at bat. And his eyes are closed. And he's breathing through his nose. He is at peace with his world. And then Molina just does it. He pokes it the other way. <laughs> Runners on first and third. And now they pinch run for him as the tying run. Mm-hmm. Tommy Edmond as the winning run. But what's he going to homer? Duh. But you could just imagine, right, like a Tommy Edmond liner down the left field line just pokes one. And yeah, he certainly wasn't homering lefty. Um, you can imagine a tie game. 2-2 count. He pops out in foul territory to Edmundo Sosa and the Phillies. Hang on. I loved this final out. Loved this final out because you never really see guys catch a final out of anything directly next to their own dugout. So mm, the pile and the hugs are always on the mound. But Sosa catches the final out, and he's like a foot away from Alec Bohm on the bench. And so they just jump on Sosa and then run to the mound. It was really it wonderful. Re- it reminded me of uh, the Giants World Series when Sandoval catches it in foul territory. Although I don't know if that was in front of the Giants. I think it was. I think it was in front of the Giants dug up. Um, great point. Also, like Edmundo Sosa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> former Cardinal. Former Tommy Edmund. Edmundo Sosa catching Tommy Edmund. A man who was once Tommy Edmund. Uh, I will say wow. goodbye to the Cardinals. A very memorable year for them. Pujols, I'm happy he got a hit at the end. Molina, I'm happy he got a hit at the end. I think Wayno will be back. I think we should peer Especially, Wayno didn't pitch. Wayno right? didn't even throw. Wayno didn't even throw, right? And I know he has really struggled down the stretch, and I assume that had a big part of, of the calculus there, but... That's the other weird part of this, right? Is that Wainwright didn't even throw in the, you know, in some ways that makes me even more convinced he's going to come back. But look, this was a great, like the Cardinals were a really good team. They were, they were, they were not a great team. They were a good team that deserved to win the division over the Brewers and did so and had a great run and had two MVP candidates who inexplicably disappeared in epic fashion in two games. And, but that happens. It's baseball. It's unfortunate. And all the NL MVP voters uh, who sent in their ballots with Arenado and Goldschmidt at the top of their ballots on uh, on Thursday? It's <laughs> in the mail, baby. But hey, but this happens. This this happens quite frequently um, it, with our MVP voting. So we'll just have to live with it. And if Goldschmidt wins, he will be deserving, and that's fine. Uh, but 
tough I, way to go out. I will say this. Maybe it's not fair. Like, I we should acknowledge when we get things right and when we get things wrong. That being said, and I got very many of the things so far this postseason wrong. I feel great about how on I was about that series. I was like, sure. Wheeler, Nola, get a shove. That's it. That's all you need to know. That's it. It's that simple. If you have your two guys shove and the bullpen just does enough, that's how the Phillies win. You games. certainly have a chance. Certainly, you have, certainly a chance. have a chance. Do I think uh, they have a chance we'll against be, uh, the Braves? We'll talk yeah, about that in order. But hey, we'll find out. That will be fun. We will preview that in our next episode. We will be right back in a second with a future version of me and a future version of Jordan live, not live, but coming to you from City Field after what I'm sure was a baseball game. Buck O'Neill dedicated his life to teaching us about the heroes of the Negro Leagues and demonstrating that you could get further in life with love than you could with hate. Now is our opportunity to say thank you to this legendary man. Join the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum as we celebrate Buck's long overdue induction into the National Baseball Hall of Fame by supporting our Thanks a Million Buck campaign. It's an effort to raise at least $1 million by fans donating a buck or more in support of the NLBM. Remember, every buck counts. To donate, visit thanksamillionbuck.com. Oh, hey, uh, we're back here on Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. If our audio, my audio sounds a little different, it's because I'm in a different place. Like I just mentioned, here I am sitting in the visiting radio booth at City Field. It is 11.31 p.m. The big board at the stadium reads, thank you, Mets fans. That, that message is not what anyone wanted. No one, it would not say thank you, <laughs> Mets fans, had the Mets won tonight. Yes, because there would be another game uh, at City Field, but alas, the Mets season ended this evening in a fairly depressing six nothing L to at the hands of Joe Musgrove and the San Diego Padres. Of course, we will get to Jake's experience at the yard tonight and all weekend long, but let's just catch you up on this series in general since we are reviewing the entire series. This began on Friday. You were you were at all three games, so you you know how this went on Friday with a U Darvish masterclass. Now look, it wasn't necessarily the most fun to watch because U Darvish takes forever. Good reminder of the bench clock. But I will say though, since U Darvish has been one of my favorite pitchers in the league since he arrived uh, in Major League Baseball, it was just a great reminder, especially after the year he had last year. Like this dude still has it. And when you watch Darvish on his game, all you can think is, how the fuck are you supposed to know what he's about to throw at any point? And he simplified things relative to what it used to be. Like, he was mostly fastball, cutter, slider. Little, some curveballs, right? He used to be like fastball, cutter, slider, changeup, sinker, forkball, ephus, <laughs> underhand pitch, no pitch at all, spitball, palm ball. Like, he had everything in the kitchen sink and under it. Simplified it carved through the order, but the headline for that game was Max Scherzer was flat. He was poopy. The problem actually was that his pitches, his fastball wasn't flat enough. It had sink mm. to it, <laughs> and that allowed the dads to send four balls over the fence off of him. First, Josh Bell, backside 420, which sounds like a trick in SSX Tricky. And then we had uh, Trent Grisham, and then we had Jerickson Profar. And then we had Manny Machado with a laser beam that knocked Scherzer out. The Padres held on to win 7-1. to one. Anything else from Game 1, Jordan Schuster? Uh One thing on the bell homer, uh, this is true in San Diego as well. The uh, stadiums that have moved the fence back or have moved the fence in, and when you have home runs like Bell hit to the opposite field over the original wall, you know it was absolutely smashed. <laughs> it was a very impressive blast. And yeah, I mean, Scherzer just didn't have it, and that kind of left the whole stadium shell-shocked. But when you had Darvish on his game, you kind of knew the Mets had no sense. All right, game two. All right, Mets season on the line. Good thing we have Jacob deGrom, one of the greatest pitchers we've ever seen, coming out shucking 102. Was deGrom perfect? No. Was deGrom good? Yes. <laughs> and he was plenty good enough. And with Blake Snell, uh, just... Just, uh, I mean, if you thought Darvish was unwatchable, even when he was good, Blake Snell, when he was bad, is one of the most unpleasant watches in the game. Andy McCullough had a tweet. Andy McCullough of The Athletic tweeted, 
every time I watch Blake Snell, I better understand what Kevin Cash was thinking in the 2020 <laughs> World Series, which is like, yeah, like you watch Blake Snell and you're like, no, this is not for me. Now, shouts out to Nick Martinez, who came kept in for the in Padres it. bullpen and kept them in it. It was three to two heading into the seventh. The Padres were kind of maybe going to threaten a little bit. And Buck Showalter called it Edwin Diaz. That was very weird for eight, nine, one in the order. That was yesterday's news. Now today, it feels like three years ago now, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, we're not not even worth really discussing that gambit. But Adrian Morajon kind of bungles it out of the Padres bullpen. Doesn't get an out. Doesn't get an out. Mets score a bunch of runs. The Padres bring the tying run to the plate in the ninth, end up losing seven to three. And that takes us into today's game three. Yes. And today's game three, of course, pitting Joe Musgrove against Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett, who has been stellar all year. But I'm talking to you before the game. I know in your preview that you wrote for Fox, you mentioned that the matchup to watch here would be Bassett against the left-handed sluggers of the Padres. Now, this didn't fully end up, I mean, it was it was relevant, uh, but the point is, is that Bassett just never really had it together. There was a ton early in the game. There was a ton of pitch comm issues where he just kept, uh, you know, telling Nito, like, what, what pitch, what pitch? Like, you're calling the location, but not the pitch, whatever. And then obviously the Padres were also stepping out a ton, uh, which seemed to throw him off his rhythm a little bit. That seemed to be a big talking point early in the game. So, right? yeah, the he breezes through the first, and then in the second, He's got two outs and a guy on on first base, and Hassan King is up, and it's a one-two count. And then Pitchcom just starts going completely haywire. Now, our associate at Fox Sports, Disha Thosar, mentioned to me that Bassett was the last guy to accept Pitchcom on the Mets staff all year. He was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And they were like, dude, just do it. The the catcher's like, dude, just do it. And so I think part of it was like once it kind of didn't work, it rattled him, and he let it kind of snowball. Nito goes to the mound. They pitch calm discuss. Nito goes back to the plate. Hassan Kim works a walk. Then Trent Grisham works a walk. And with the base loaded and two outs, uh, Austin Nola, a much maligned figure in one of the more lopsided trades in recent baseball history. Gets Not Austin Nola's fault. I, I still, as a Mariners fan, I root for Austin Nola. It's not like I want him to have this burden on him right. that A.J. Preller sold the farm for him, for who is, you know, is obviously looked to be a, a relatively below average catcher. But big moment for him to put the Padres up 2-0. Uh, and, then, and then Musgrove just, just went to work, man. Musgrove was carving up a storm. Grisham had another RBI single off of Bassett. Just tons of stepping out. I asked Bob Melvin about it. I was the only person in the press conference. Well, there was like six of us. <laughs> Because everyone else was getting champagne doused on them in the locker room. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is that a type of thing where, you know, in a pregame hitters meeting, it's, hey, I managed Chris Bassett for seven years. If you step out a lot, he gets rattled. And Melvin was like, I didn't write anything down. I didn't say anything. I didn't tell them to do that. It just seemed like the game kind of dictated it and the Padres hitters figured it out. So that happens. Musgrove carves. Bassett leaves the game. Fast forward, it's four to zero, I believe, in the sixth. It is four to zero going to the sixth inning, bottom of the sixth, I believe. Uh, and Buck Walter, who I'm not sure if you noticed this, um, because I wasn't totally sure what was going on. Earlier in the game, you could see Buck looking at some of the baseballs that had been thrown out. Because um, obviously they go through a bajillion baseballs because anytime a ball hits the dirt, the catcher chucks it out and whatever, they throw it to the dugout. And you could see Buck looking at some of the baseballs. Okay. Now, earlier, and by the second or third inning, people are looking at seconds. Oh my God, Joe Musgrove's spin rates are going crazy. Now, important point, he's also just throwing harder than he has for the rest of the season. Not outrageously harder, but harder on average, right? I mean, it's adrenaline. It's a winner go home game. We saw this with Luis Castillo two days ago. We see this in the postseason quite frequently. That part is not crazy. But his spin rates were indeed up on a lot of his pitches. So Buck Showalter asks Alfonso Marquez to take a take a stroll line out to, to the mound. And Chris Conroy, the home plate up, going out. All the umps, conjo- they come together. They go out. And Joe Musgrove puts his hands and says, you can take whatever you want. Touch Go my ahead. fucking ear. Touch. And you know what? <laughs> Stroke my face. Touch. Put your fingers in my ears. Do whatever you want. I'm clean and I'm going to keep shoving. And that's pretty much what happened. So tell me what it was like in the stadium. Um, how? Because it, obviously it was very funny right. on TV. People are showing the slow-mos. I mean, it was plenty of good theater on TV. 
but tell me what it was kind of like in the press box and all that stuff. So we're in, I'm in the front row of the press box and like wet ear chat starts, you know, bubbling up and everyone's joking about it. And, you know, Andrew McCutcheon tweets about hot sauce and whatever. I put my finger in June Lee's ear, tweeted that. That was funny. All kinds of good press box shenanigans. All banter is banter. And then like for the start of the six months, Musgrove throws his warm up pitches. It looks like everything's going to happen. And you see Buck emerge from the dugout. And you just, all of us are like, oh, he's going to check him. He's going to check him. And as soon as we realize he's going to check him, we're like, oh, he's going to fucking rub his ear. They're going to rub his ear. They're going to stroke <laughs> gonna his ear. Well, that was the funniest part is you saw the umps talk to each other. They go up to Musgrove. They do the normal extra checks in the hands. And like when you're for watching home, we're all waiting. Like you're good. They're going to touch his ear. Like at some point they're, they're going to touch his ear. Right. He gives him his hat. He's showing him his hands, whatever. And then Alfonso Marquez, what a, 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 a huge winner here. Ted Barrett, who, uh, you know, a few months ago rubbed his uh, hand through James Karinchak's hair. <laughs> Getting off the hook here as Alfonso Marquez is, is rubbing, giving him a little uh, head and ear massage. Um, it, was, it was very, it was very goofy. Musgrove finishes carving, chucks it in the sixth, chucks it in the seventh. The only other real notable moment from the game was in the eighth, with runners on second and third and nobody out, I believe. Buck goes to Diaz in the saddest Timmy Trumpet Narcos celebration you could remember. It was like, you know when someone dies and in their will, it's like, I don't want my funeral to be sad. I want it to be happy. Mm. True, but still sad. It's still a funeral. That's kind of what it felt like. You had to play it. You had to do it. If you don't do it, you're admitting defeat. But it was a very understated Tomothy Trumpet celebration here at City Field. This is an insane take. Maybe this is an insane take. But I like I when I see situations like this, like I would, because like you're losing. It's not even that. Like, it's like you're losing, right? Like the, to me, the closer entrance is I am coming to end the game, right? And if you're losing, you can't do that. And so. I guess I'm not blaming Edwin Diaz for this, right? Of course, you always think you're coming in to win the game and you always want to have your, your song. But it's like, I feel like I would want to maybe have a backup or an alt where it's just like regular. No, you're wrong. That's worse. <laughs> That's bigger news. Okay. That's bigger news. So Diaz uh, comes on. You think so? Yeah, it's way if worse. they don't use it? Way worse, yeah, dude. Way true. worse. So he comes on. Yeah. I believe he K's the first two hitters he faces. He's just Edwin so, Diazing up a storm. So he, right. Uh, Nola bunts oh, to right. move you guys over. Bunt. And then Profar strikes out, and then Juan Soto on a first pitch slider, yeah, just bangs one down the left field line in just the ultimate, just like death blow. That was I mean, it. That was just that was it. And it was, was good because Soto cheeky. had not had a moment. He'd had some knocks a mm-hmm. game too, but he was really lacking even anything resu- resembling a big Padre signature moment. And that wasn't like a huge one, but it was like. The end of the Mets. That was the death of totally the Mets. Totally game over. Totally. Game over. Hater comes in for the ninth. Thanks for coming out. He looks totally back and untouchable again. Yeah, but again, at that point, like that was really they had they had sort of rolled over at that point. Now, Literally many times, as the Mets offense had two base runners the entire game. Uh, one, the uh, pop quiz. Who were the two base runners? Jordan, I was there, and I keep score. So it was a Pete Alonso single in the fourth. And a Starling Marte walk to lead off the seventh. I think you. I think you know that. Yeah, the Alonzo one broke up the uh, broke up the perfect game. I believe that Musgrove had, of course. Uh, yes, uh, the Pete Hutt single was in the fifth. fifth. But yeah, I mean, it was it was it was uh, it was it was it was a rough watch for the Mets offense. Um, credit to Musgrove; he was fantastic. And look, I mean, I'm pretty tired of sticky stuff uh, discourse. So this was kind of having this uh, so let's, kind of pop back up. Let's was talk about certainly this entertaining. For two but seconds. let's let's just talk about it. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to tell everyone a little secret. Okay, you ready? Your favorite team. Players on it. Players you like. They're still doing it. It's not Spider Tech. Yeah. So yeah, the no, spin rates not. are not outlandish like they used to be. But everyone's still using some stuff. It's widespread. Maybe not as much as it was a year ago with Tack, but it's still happening. It's going to keep happening. It's part of baseball. The checks are fucking silly. Like, that's a fact. It's okay. 
And I'm not saying that Musgrove was doing anything here, but he said in the post-game press conference, if you're going to come check us, you better be sure no one on your team's doing it either. And to me, yes. that was not necessarily an accusation, but it was also kind of an accusation. This And I, I do Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I do believe that I did take stock in Bob Melvin's comments as well after the game. Um, who said I, I, I think you said you were there, but like he said, like Musgrove is like and look, I know managers are gonna defend their guys all the time, but I don't know. I for, for some reason I heard that and I was like, okay, like I mostly believe him. But to your point, yeah, there are definitely guys still using. It's possible he had something going on tonight. The way that a lot of guys say, and but hey, he was throwing harder. It was adrenaline. If you're throwing harder, your spin rate's going to go up. Yes, it did. Like again, it is within Showalter's right to go out and ask. Sure, right. But like you said, you're going to look pretty silly, especially when you're already down that late in the game too, because the spin rates were up in the first inning, second inning. If you if you're worried that early, in that sense, it almost would be better to just go get it out of the way, because again, you have the right to go ask, and that's fine. But you are going to look pretty silly in the end, and that's kind of what Gary Cohen said. I don't know if you saw it, but. Gary Cohen in the Mets postgame show, he was he he's he kind of came after and said, This was a bad look. If you're gonna do this, like this is you you gotta feel good about it. And it did look desperate, which is what Musgrove said. It was a little embarrassing. It felt like someone in the clubhouse saw the tweet. Right? They exactly. saw the tweets. Yeah. And that's no way to run a ball club. Yeah. Through tweeting. Yeah. All right. There's a reason Jordan yep. and I don't skip her a club. All right. We not <laughs> as we know how to tweet. We don't know how to do anything else. All right. So that's sticky stuff discourse. Next thing yes. to talk about. This entire okay. series felt like it was the Mets and the Padres. The New York Mets and the San Diego Padres. And part of that is because the Mets have a $200 million payroll and play in New York and have all these very famous players. And I maybe I'm blind because I live here and I'm here all the time. I am willing to admit that. But. The Padres deserve credit. It's not just the Mets blew it. The Padres had to win it. In order to capitulate, someone has to capitulate you. And San Diego went out, and they beat them. The Mets' offense was limp and lifeless all night long, but Joe Musgrove was really good. And Chris Bassett kind of fell apart, but someone had to put bat on ball. And so I just want to make sure the, pa- the Padres get their moment in the sun, and we'll give them a little bit more of that when we preview their uh upcoming sweep against the <laughs> Dodgers later this week or in like uh, 12 hours. I also want to say I was wrong. I picked the Mets. I said it would be a breeze. We are wrong sometimes. It's fine. We all, we've all got all kinds of things wrong already. Uh, quickly on Musgrove, you, you mentioned this was good fodder for our back page barbecast segment uh, where you uh, come up with the headline. Uh, fittingly, well, by the way, especially because, um, you know, you're in New York, and we will literally be seeing headlines about this, I'm sure, in the newspapers tomorrow. So uh, what, do you, what do you got? So I got one. I didn't have a lot of time to think about this, but I got one. And here's what it is. The buck doesn't stop ear. I think that's probably pretty along the lines of what we're going to see <laughs> tomorrow in the New York newspaper. I love it. I love it. The it's, buck can't again, stop ear. Yeah, yeah. The bu- can't stop the e- yeah. No, I love it. I love it. That's like a that's like an easy a easy a. Thanks. So, Appreciate it. Don't, don't don't need to overcomplicate it. I'll it's never well I'll never top a wall this Chapman that Lindsay A-wall, had today. Yes. But we'll get to that. We'll later talk about that in the next episode. All right. Last uh, point. Let's wrap last this, point. Let's, last point. Last point. Yeah, we need to talk about. Oh yeah. To wrap it up. The Mets. Yeah. Yeah, we need to just kind of talk up, just say goodbye to the Mets because this is the end of the Mets here. The end of the Mets. So a couple quotes here that I'm seeing are funny. My favorite thing that I'm seeing on Twitter is Pete Alonso saying, it hurts. It's not just the losing. It's the disbanding. (laughs) So how did you interpret that quote? It's all of us, like everyone's gone. This is going to be a different group next year. Bingo. And so this was the point I was going to bring up. We talked uh, earlier about the end of the Blue Jays season, and sure, they will have some big decisions to make, but a lot of that core will still be in place. It is a young group. It is guys that are under contract. It is a lot. It's going to be a lot of the same stars on that team, right? But, oh boy, do we have a big winter ahead for Steve, for Uncle Stevie. Uh, if you aren't familiar, uh, they got a fair number of uh, free agents. Uh, are you familiar with uh, the concept of a free agent? Yes. Yeah. Okay, DeGrom opting out. Now look, some of these guys will come back. 
DeGrom opting out, Diaz, free agent, Nimmo, free agent, Lugo, extremely big part of the Mets for the last <laughs> several years, free agent. Bassett, I believe, uh, mutual option, he'll probably opt out. Uh, Carrasco, I believe, is a team option. Maybe he's not back. Like, there is a lot that is going to be different on this team. Um, that's a big deal, right? And the thing is, is that, like, the Met, Steve Cohen, not only is just, okay, people are like, oh, go try to get Aaron Judge. He's going to go try and get Trey Turner and all these guys or whatever. There's so many important players that he will also have the pressure to retain that, man, this is going to be a really, really, really fascinating winter <laughs> on many degrees. Uh, and I'm glad we have a podcast again to talk about it. Then there won't be a lockout. That's also really sweet. <laughs> okay. So. All right. So. Huh. I'm trying to think about what to say about the Mets. <laughs> um, I, have, I have one more thing. Yeah, go ahead. Is this a disappointing failure of a season? In some ways, yes. But I also do think that they got beat. And yeah, they choked it down the stretch in, in a lot of senses. Um, but like, I don't know. Like, it is hard when the sport is just this cruel where like it was a really successful, awesome season and you won 101 games and you did make people feel like it was going to be different. Was that it? Doesn't Let's mean talk about guaranteed that. To, was that it? doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win the World Series, right? Like, it's just not. Like, I, it, there's nothing you could do to get close to guaranteeing that. Of course, flaming out in the wildcard series doesn't feel good, but... There was no version of this team where it was like, oh, they're going to do it for sure. But was it all a lie? Like, that's the thing that I'm thinking about. Does that even matter, right? This team was turned out to be fraudulent. But isn't that the case for 2019? Maybe. It's the way that this ended, I think, that Mm -hmm. makes me think it was all tissue paper all along. Where Mm. it was just sad. It was lifeless there was no verve at the end they didn't put up you know when every team loses at any level of any sport they fought till the end is what a coach always says not these mets <laughs> not these mets no these mets that i saw today did not do that uh, which was just from the beginning you knew that was a bad idea <laughs> the mets players take on the ethos of the fan base okay the i'm now i'm a little hot the booing of Scherzer was, in game one, was nuts to me. Imagine being told a year ago, Mets fans, that you were going to boo Max Scherzer off the field in a playoff game? What the fucking fuck? Also nuts. in game one, where you have DeGrom going tomorrow, right? Just, it's like you had all of these failsafes. That's really the issue, right? Anyway, it's like when that is the problem is when you do build a roster that is this star studded and sure they've had injuries at times. It should be enough. It should be enough. It should be enough to get to to win to get to uh, to win a round of the postseason. So it was yeah. so the whole vibe in the yard tonight was just so fatalist. It was like a guy gets on. Oh, well, it's the Mets again. And it's like <laughs> a self-fulfilling prophecy of doom where no one believes. No one believes, genuinely. Like, I, I'm not, not actually. Like, some Mets fans get positive belief. But the Mets lose two in a row in the regular season. You know the Mets, the most games they lost in a row in the regular season was three? <laughs> three. <laughs> and people were acting season. like they just, they, during the year that they were this horrible team nosedive. They won 101 games. I don't know. Right. And the, that's not where they lost. Like, they didn't lose because a bunch of the fans are pessimists. Right. But that vibe sucks. Right. And it, it is a thing in this team culture more than other places. And it was only amplified this year when you have the pressure of the payroll and knowing that the team is probably going to look decently different. And it feels like, okay, yes, obviously Uncle Stevie's going to keep pumping in millions and millions and millions of dollars into the team. And so presumably they still have a lot of good players that are going to be on the roster next year, even if all those guys leave. But it is that extra feeling of, oh, yeah, like if we don't win the World Series, like this is literally the worst thing that's ever happened in baseball. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's really hard to win. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it, no, it is, it is a shitty end. There's no reason to sugarcoat it. I just, um, yeah, tough to watch tough to watch i don't know the more the just the more i i sit here and chew on it as i look out across this empty vacant dark stadium uh the more 
flabbergasted I get. Like you have a $280 million payroll and you can't win a I'm also sensing series? too that like, I'm also sensing too that like, you believed. Because you weren't, a, you're not a Mets fan, right? No. And so that's part of this is that you, it's much easier for you and I to look at the Mets and be like, they're really awesome. I they was, should beat the Padres. I was a non-Mets <laughs> fan who is incredibly optimistic and proved wrong. Is that better or worse than a Mets fan who was incredibly pessimistic and proved right? And the, the reason why we're, we're harping on this and why we're going long on this is because, again, like it is generally the instinct of neutral fans to also laugh at the Mets the way Mets fans laugh at themselves. But And, this and we is, were doing that. This is why it's, it's tough. Now, maybe I'm doubling back. Like, What else should Mets fans believe? Right? What else should they believe? It is the self-fulfilling. It's cyclical. Right? It's cyclical. And so maybe they do deserve a little bit of, of leeway to be fatalist. Anyway, this has been a lot of like therapy into Mets fan psyche. Bobby <laughs> Wagner, I'll bill you later. Uh, yes. We will have Bobby on at some point. Bobby Wagner, of course, our old producer, uh, lifelong Mets fan, and someone who we've, we've gone to many times uh, to help explain, you know, Mets fandom. Uh, but. To our, uh, to our wonderful listeners, thank you for enjoying this wild card review. We will be back very soon, later today, if you're listening to this, hopefully, with our uh, Division Series preview. So thank you to Andrew Emmer uh, for producing this episode of the Baseball Barbercast. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Mets fans, baseballbarbercast at gmail.com. If you want to send us how you're feeling, let us know. All right. Goodbye. Talk to you soon. Serious XM Podcasts. <laughs>